Yeah, a lot of forgiveness. Yeah. What else? Can you make this a light relationship, please, man? Because uh, we're pretty busy. Hey. Yo. Anything else? Yeah, can you hold the condiments? Do you mean hold the condemnation? Adjust your headphones, hairnet. That's what he said. Okay, that's what I said. You want to supersize your religion? No way. We don't want people to think we're weird or anything. Did someone say McFaith? Jump around, jump around, jump around now. Jump up, jump up and get down. Good morning, huh? Would you like to go a place like that? Well, thank you for, for allowing me to preach once again. Apparently, you guys enjoyed the last time I was here. So uh, I appreciate it. And it's an honor to be in front of you again. I'm going to continue where Doug left off last week. Love thy neighbor. But we're going to talk about communities and small groups. And that's going to be our focus today. But a, a little bit about me. Growing up as a kid, I never went to church. My mother, to this day, is not a Christian. As a matter of fact, besides my grandmother, I'm the only one in my family who's accepted Christ. And so I did not step into a church until I was 18 years old. And the first church I stepped into was a Catholic church. And if you're Catholic, I don't, I'm not going to say anything necessarily, just to let you know that that was the first church I stepped into. And I actually came to Christ at 21 in the back of a Catholic church. And it was fully, completely the work of God. But after that, and as I was growing in my faith, I began to realize that as I was studying the Bible, the way that the faith and the way that the Christians gathered and did church when it first started seemed to be completely different than the way that we do it today. And so that's something that I want to talk about a little bit. If Peter, John, Matthew, Mark, or Luke were to walk through the doors of our churches in America... Do you think they would like what they see? Do you think they'd recognize what they see? A better question to ask is, do you think they would be happy about it? Would they come in here and, and enjoy and worship and be wonderful and leave feeling wonderful? Or would they leave thinking, something's really missing here? I want to take some time this morning to look at the way church was done back 2,000 years ago and compare it to the way that church is done today. And this isn't a bash at New Life or anybody else. This is just a bash at, at church in America in general. So to do that, we're going to have to go to Acts 2. Acts 2 gives us a pretty clear view of what Christianity looked like when it first started. It, it shows us what the believers did when they gathered together and how church was done. We're going to use Acts as a way to compare church the way we do it nowadays to church the way they did it back then. But let's start by taking a look at church today. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. 
All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. <laughs> Me Church, where it's all about you. That oil change in Buff wouldn't be such a bad deal, would it? <laughs> I know this is a spoof, but I think that there's a lot more truth in this video than we would like to admit to, to ourselves this morning. We in America have made church more and more about what we want, prefer, or what we like, and we've made it less and less about God. People join and leave churches over things like music, programming, ministries, where the money is going, what the preacher talked about. More often than not, people church hop over selfish reasons. They're not church hopping because the spirit was so overwhelming I didn't know what to do. They're leaving because I didn't like what the pastor said this morning. And I hope some of you aren't there after today. We'll see. <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we have made many church decisions based on many of these same reasons. If we search our hearts deeply, Many of us maybe have ended up at New Life for some of those same selfish reasons. We want to go to church and be told everything will be all right, that God loves you, that nothing bad will ever happen to you, that every prayer that you pray to God will be answered in the way you want it to be answered, and that the pastor will talk about all the good parts of the Bible. Church goes well when it's done the way we like, and our eyes begin to wander when it's done a way differently than what we felt it should be done. Church in America today, in one word, has become about me and nothing else. I took a group of teens to the Standing Rock Indian Reservation in North Dakota. Anyway, it was a mission trip. It was our first mission trip. And I had spent a lot of time in prayer as to where we're going to go. So I went to North Dakota. For those of you who are unaware, and there's a stretch of North Dakota, South Dakota, of the 10 poorest counties in the U.S., five of them are in this, in the, within about 30 miles of each other. They're all right up here in the, in the Indian reservations. And so we went, and our, our whole goal was to go. There's a ministry there. there the Episcopal Church has started a camp, and at that camp, they bring kids from the reservation all summer long, and they teach them about, about Jesus. Because it's on the reservation, there are no building codes, no building laws. If they get a trailer with a hole in it, they bring it to the reservation for kids to stay in. So we went, and our, our job was to fix it up. That's what we did. We just fixed up the camp. We went into town, fixed up the church. There was a few houses that needed some work. So we just decided we're going to fix things up. I can remember that first year getting back and having one of the parents call me up very, very upset. Because in her mind, we just didn't go on a mission trip. A mission trip to her, in her words was you have to go door to door and share the gospel with people. Anything else is not a mission trip. And this whole idea of me church began to spring out like she is thinking of ministry about herself. This is what I like, this is what I think, so this is what you need to do. Church attitude 2,000 years ago is completely different. We can notice in the early church, the first thing we notice is that it was all about Jesus not about us. Acts 2, verse 38, gives us a quick look at the attitude and the focus of the day. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what it was all about. Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit working and moving and changing lives. Every time they gathered, it was in the name of and honor for Jesus Christ. People were not so much interested in their personal desires or their comforts as they met, but rather putting their thoughts and their focus on Jesus Christ. He was and still is the namesake of this great movement. Jesus was their love, their strength, their grace, their mercy, their power, their forgiveness. He was their everything. The worship was about Jesus. The prayers lifted up were to Jesus. The preaching was from Jesus' word, and the giving was for Jesus. The focus was on Jesus. The followers of the day understood that they were because of who he is. Things look a little bit different today, don't they? For us to begin to resemble our brothers and sisters of old, we must remember what John said. John the Baptist said in John 1, verse 27, It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John knew he wasn't the reason for what was going on. He knew it was Jesus. And when Jesus came on the scene, John removed himself from it. So what do you think, church? Are there times in our lives when we think back and we realize, you know what, I've really made church a whole lot about me and a whole lot less about Jesus. Let's look at the modern church again. Churches in America have a lot of really large, nice buildings. We've all seen them. Some people probably put their church name on them so everybody can see. You have family life centers, children wings, youth buildings, which I was a former youth pastor, so I'm not against youth buildings, by the way. I know James wouldn't be either. <laughs> Fellowship halls and a wide variety of modern conveniences. Some of the most cool and technologically advanced things that I've ever seen have been in churches. With all the time, money, and energy put into these places, it makes sense that our churches would be the center of our focus. I mean, my money's going there. Why doesn't my attention need to go there as well? Modern Christianity, in many ways, has put a tremendous amount of focus and effort on getting people into the church. We're going to do an outreach program to bring people into the church. We're going to have a meal at the church to bring people into the church. We're going to do all these things to bring people here. As they used to say, we're going to get butts in the seats. I used to get disgusted at youth conferences because a huge topic of conversation between all the youth ministers was, number one, how large your youth group is, and number two, what kind of youth building you had. And I would answer them every time, no matter how big yours is, the devil's youth group is bigger. All around the country, church has seemingly become more and more and more about buildings and programs. Modern church has also seemed to put the bulk of the work on those who work at the church or who are paid by the church. And I'm sure James can, can give you more information on that. We have decided in America nowadays that all the work that happens out of New Life needs to be done by Doug and James because they're the paid staff. That's their job to do that. And in Doug's case, Janie, because she's the wife. And Amanda, because she's the wife. (laughs) 
The idea of ministering God's work has been funneled to staff members and everything must run out of that. If we want to get bigger buildings, we need to hire more staff. If we want to do more ministries, we need bigger buildings. We need more staff. We need more people that can do that. That's not how it worked back then. The second thing we're going to see is church 2,000 years ago was all about the people and not about the building. The Christians of old had a completely different mindset when it came to ministry. Our original brothers and sisters in Christ were not concerned about a physical location, but were more focused on ministering to the people as they had need. It was about all the people of the community, not the people of the church. Acts 2, verse 44 to 46 puts this very, very clearly. Now all of the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. This was church in a nutshell. They were together doing things together, doing ministry together, eating together, praying together, serving together. What an incredible picture, huh? Imagine if we were in a church like that. Were we all together outside of the building, outside of the church proper, were doing ministry. They sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all who had need. When is the last time you sold a belonging and distributed it to somebody who had need? Not because of your need, but somebody else's need. Believers of the day did not wait until they gathered at church on Sunday to take care of the problem. They didn't wait till the next committee meeting. They took care of it. Ministry was not done on a when I have time or when I have money type of basis. It was done on when the need occurs type of basis. Imagine the scene. Everyone was gathered in the name of Jesus with a concern for each other. Everyone was a minister to somebody else. Each one in here has somebody that they're ministering to. It's not Doug's job to minister to your neighbor. It's your job to minister to your neighbor. Doug doesn't know your neighbor. And there's a pretty good chance your neighbor's not going to come to church. So you need to minister to your neighbor or your coworker or somebody that you met in the street or at the grocery store. A person was not set to different communities to meet different needs. No, and, and I... I I was in ministry eight years in Georgetown, Texas, which is just north of Austin, so it's got kind of the Austin mentality. It was amazing how many different churches had different ministries. So if you needed, a, a, let's say, a, I just forgot, I just went blank. But let's say you were drug and alcohol addicted and you needed a recovery group, you'd go to one church. Let's say you needed, you were a newly divorced couple and you needed ministry, you'd go to a different church. Let's say you needed food. Oh, well, you can go to that church over there because they take care of that. Every church had a different ministry, and people were sent and funneled to all these different churches. Imagine if ministry was done, somebody comes to you with a need, you just provide for the need. You don't send them to the next community. You don't send them to the next church. You take care of it where you're at. A few years ago, I heard this story, and I actually had an opportunity to hear this guy at a a conference that I went to as well. It's a church in West Texas. And he was doing a series on tithing. And at the start of the series, he was talking about, you know, just like Doug, 10% and tithing and, and being joyful about it. 
And he said at the start of his series, he, he, the Lord kept telling him, what are you going to do about it? And so it was a four-week series. Well, on the fourth week, it was the last day of the series, he was in prayer that morning, and the Lord really spoke to him very, very clearly that they had to do something about it. So he gathered together with the elders and told them, today, guys, this is what's going to happen. So at the end of the service, this was the type of church where they passed the plate. I know how uncomfortable that can be. We don't, we're so glad we don't do that here. But at this church, they did. They passed the plate. The elders went in the back. They counted the money. At the end of the service, the preacher stops and goes, guys, he goes, we're going to do what the Bible says. We're going to take care of needs. They brought the money out, put it in the front, and asked people, if you have a need, come get money out of the thing. And, and, and we'll take care of your need. That day, they said it was one of the largest giving days they've ever had. They never announced this ahead of time. Seventy-something thousand dollars was given to the church that day. They gave away seventy-something thousand dollars. Every penny that went in the box, a penny came out of the box. Nobody asked for more. If somebody needed 20, they took 20. If somebody needed 100, they took 100. It went beyond that. As he was closing in prayer, some guy stood up and said, I've got this car I've been trying to give away. And a mother in the back said, my car just broke down on the way to church. And the guy gives her the keys. That is how church is done. I think we're beginning to see that things are quite different today, aren't they? It's amazing that something like that makes the national news as this amazing thing that happened in church. It should be something that happens every week in church. I'm going to show this video. It's called State of the Church. I want you guys to pay attention. Do you attend church? Uh, sure, every Sunday. Can you use to? Not recently. No. Yeah. Not as much as I should be. Yeah, when I was younger. I used to. No. Yeah, sometimes. I think last time we been at church was at a wedding. I just don't have a religious family. We never go. We never go. Because usually I don't get a ride or something. Yeah, something like that. Just don't feel like it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't really have time. Kind of been busy. But been busy doing stuff around the house, I guess. I lost my mom goes to work a lot. What does church mean to you? Church is, is just a word. Just a word. It doesn't mean anything unless there's people behind it. It's private. It's a whole body. The church is a building. It's a place that I clear my thoughts and just like think about things that are going on in my life for sure. Definitely. Not so much about the religion aspect. Not so much about the religion aspect. It's like just a place for me to like What does think. church mean to you? A place where you go right? Christ following. Church means to me absolutely nothing. If you live a good life and have... You know, believe in karma and all that, then you're fine, in my opinion. In my opinion. I don't believe in the existence of God. I mean, if people want to get together and talk about their beliefs, I don't think I don't think they have to do it in a church setting. But I mean, I believe in God, but I just feel you don't have to go there to like prove that. You go every Sunday. I mean, it's just something you do. It's just something you do. What do you think the church could do differently? Could do differently? A little more open-minded, you know. Get a little bit away from tradition, a little bit, and just kind of uh, adapt, adapt to you know the real world. Now they they still kind of backwards. They could get out of the church and walk down here and be Jesus for people. I think it could definitely become a little more contemporary. Um, just be more open. Let's talk more fun. It'll be all right. They should put games and have carnivals and stuff like that, so they can get more people to think that church is fun. Church is fun and stuff like that. The thing about a church is everybody builds all these big cathedrals and stuff like that. 
money should go to help the people, not to build a bigger church. I almost joined a church when I was a teenager, and he talked me out of it. He talked me out of it. Pretty sobering, and I've got even more. I'm, I'm a stat nerd, so I like looking this stuff up. 70 million people in America are unchurched. That equates to roughly 25% of the country. 15 years ago, the number was roughly 10% of the country. So in 15 years, we've lost 15% of our church population. North America is now the only continent where Christianity is not growing, and as a matter of fact, it's shrinking. How can it be that a nation founded by the power of God becomes one where God is not proclaimed? Only 23% of churchgoers proclaimed their faith last year. 23%. Only 4% of teenagers aged 12 to 18 believe that the Bible is true. 4%. And that number is shrinking every year. Since 1990, the number of Christian adults in America has dropped by 20% since 1990. 1995, roughly 88% said they were Christian. 2005, that number had dropped to about 72%, and I believe it's less than 70% now. Research shows that Christianity is now the sixth fastest growing religion in the world. And if you were to take away Africa, it would be somewhere around ninth or 10th. Africa, their Christianity growth rate is about 40%. They said if the current rate continues, within 30 years, there will be more Christians in Africa than there will be in America because they are growing so fast and we are shrinking. And you guys heard it. Church is not relevant anymore because I think we've made it about church. I firmly believe Jesus is, has been, and will always be relevant, but not necessarily church. We have built these beautiful cathedrals in which we can get what we want, how we want, when we want it, and the way we want it. Better yet, we honk our horns and wave our banners with pride that we are the largest, the newest, the biggest, the richest, you fill in the blank. With a combination of selfish faith and corporate church, we have forgotten our roots. Church, in its infancy, was about impact, not image. I believe this is the biggest problem with American Christianity today. We have built the church up to support what our image of it should be. We have a habit of doing things that will look good in the eyes of other believers or other churches or our neighbors. We love to compare our level of faith with the level of faith of somebody else. Hey, yes, I sin, but I don't sin as much as Bob does or as much as Betsy does. So I'm okay. If your name's Bob in here, I'm sorry. Or Betsy. We may be having the worst day of our lives, but we show up sharply dressed with the smiles on our face to let everybody know that, hey man, I'm doing well. We have convinced ourselves as well as others 
that Christianity can enhance my life, not change my life. We've adopted the attitude that the church needs to look like everything else in America. It's all about image. Back to North Dakota, we went three years, and um, the thing that kind of stood out to me the most, and it applies to this directly, is they have had many churches, you know, for those of you who don't know the history of, the, of the, our, our Native Americans, the majority of their land was taken by churches. The government would send churches in in the name of Jesus, and then they would take the land from the Indians. And so just to go in the name of Jesus doesn't really work, because they've been burned by that. But they, they have, they've had many churches that come in. As a matter of fact, our first year, they had a church that had been there for 10 years, would come in, and they would do a week-long VBS in town, and then they would leave. But every, it seems like every five or six years, a different church would come in and do it. Well, I found out talking to some of the people there that the Baptist church had come in a few years ago, and this isn't a shot at the Baptist church. This is just the Baptist church there, had come in and, and were very, 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 very determined to be the first church to convert the Native Americans. We want to be, we want to be the Baptist. We're going to convert the Native Americans. The Native Americans hated the Baptist church. I decided I was going to do things a little bit differently. We decided we're going to come in and we're just going to show the love of God to them by doing things. So we began to fix up the camp. We began to fix up the church. We began to fix up houses. We began to do all sorts of different things. We would come in. The Indians would have a powwow. We would go. My second year, they actually had a... Uh, they were appointing new chiefs. And, and in Indian culture, it's about a 20-year process to appoint a new chief. They, they have a group of elders that they call them, and they look at candidates for about 20 years and decide. So it's a very, very big deal, and we were invited to go, not realizing how important it was. Well, as I was preparing to go for the third year, you know, I had really begun to pray. The guy who runs the Episcopal Church there gave me a call and said, Joe, he goes, you may not know it. He goes, but there's a group of about 30 Native Americans that are in my church right now praying for you guys in your trip. They want you guys to make it safe. They want you to be here. The Habitat for Humanity had come in and wanted to do all this work. The, the tribal elders of that reservation said, no, you are not allowed. We were the only group that they would allow to come in. And when I asked him, why do you think that is? He goes, he goes, because you love them. You're not trying to do something for them. You're loving them. To them, work is love. To them, showing up is love. To them, a group of 25 teenagers driving 1,400 miles from Texas is love. And that's when I really began to understand the church is completely different in the way it should be. Acts 2.41 and Acts 2.47 give a view of churches our faith founders sought. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Could you imagine coming to church, leaving, and having 3,000 people come to Christ that day? I don't know if it happens here. I know there's a guy named Reihard Bonnke, who's, who's German, who goes into Africa and does revivals. He'll have hundreds of thousands of Africans come to Christ. Documented on, on paper, documented people coming to Jesus. Hundreds of thousands every time he preaches. We tout our trumpets if we can have one over, over a couple of months. Not that it's not important, it is very important. And we praise the Lord for that. But I think we need to focus a little bit more deeply. 
The church as it was first founded was all about impacting God's kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Life transformation was the name of the game. They knew if you transformed a life by the power of Jesus, you could transform a community and beyond. God's name would be lifted up and glorified, not the name of a church or not the name of a pastor. We love our pastor, but I know him well enough to know he wants God to be glorified, not Doug Washburn. And when I say that, a lot of us have these pastors' names who pop into our heads, right? I'm not going to mention any of them. Clearly it worked as it grew from 12 people to roughly 2 billion people today claim themselves to be Christian. Started at 12, it grew to 2 billion. It seems that things are a little bit different than that now in America. Not other places, but just here. So what does it all mean? Am I trying to get up here and bash the church and say the church is a horrible place and and we're doing horrible things? That's not at all what I'm trying to do. I'm here to change our attitude, however, and change our focus. I believe to change things, you have to see the whole entire picture, and that's what we've done this morning. What What I am here to do is focus on what Sorry, here we go. (laughs) I'm a firm believer in corporate church. I really am. I worked at a church for eight years. I'm a firm believer in this. But I think we need to take it in context. I believe the church to be vitally important. I believe the church is a central location to gather for prayer, for worship, for teaching. Acts 2 believers gather daily in the temple for those exact things, for prayer and for teaching. I equate the church to a military base. For those of you who are in the military, the military is a base where people go for training and then they send them out to battle. They don't bring the battle to the military base. Sometimes it happens, but they don't, it's not intended for that. It's intended to equip the soldiers, to prepare the soldiers, to do all these other things and then send them out for battle. I believe the church to be the exact same thing. I believe we are to come here on Sunday morning and worship. I believe we are to come here on Sunday morning in prayer and to get teaching of the word. But I don't believe that everything else is supposed to happen here on Sunday morning. I believe we're supposed to go out and do things once we go out. The real work of the church occurs in small groups. I'm a 100% believer in that. And it's no coincidence that we're having a small group kickoff next week because all of the work of the church happens out of small groups. Small groups are the Acts 2 communities that we see in the Bible. They are the place of breaking bread, caring for needs, lifting each other up in prayer, and just fellowshipping together. When it is run well, small groups can change the world. Some of the largest, most well-known churches in America were started out of small groups. Life Church in Oklahoma City started as a small group. Willow Creek in Chicago, which has somewhere around 25,000 people every Sunday, started with four guys in in Bill Heibel's living room as a small group. In North Point, which is Andy Stanley's church in in Atlanta, they all started out of small groups. Some of the most amazing, life-changing, miraculous things I have ever seen have occurred not on Sunday morning, but in a small group. Small groups done well bring Jesus out of churches and into communities. Small groups done well change the lives of our neighbors as well as ourselves. 
Small groups done well provide for needs of everybody who has a need. That's what small groups do. So who would want to be part of that? A church that comes here on Sunday, gets fed, gets the word, gets charged up, gets prepared, and then gets sent out to change the world in the name of Jesus. Do we want new life to be that way? I do. I know I do. I know Doug does. I know James does. I know, I know Jeff does. Those who are here, I know that that's what they want. And that's our job. Small groups, we're going to have a kickoff next Sunday. And I think we understand how vitally important it is to be in a small group. You know, I know I can share from mine. Just, just the things that my small group has done for each other will blow you away. And hopefully maybe we'll have some of that shared next week. Next Sunday at 5 p.m., we're going to gather here. There's going to be food. There's going to be fun. We're going to have bouncies for the children. You know, we believe small group is for everybody, not just for the adults. We believe it's for the children as well. And there's, they're actually going to have a child small group. And your children are going to come here. There's not going to be babysitting. It's going to be small group time for your children. We would love to have 200 people in small groups. And I kid you not. You know, we would love to have the problem of trying to figure out where to get everybody to fit, how to make it all work. We want that problem. That's a good problem to have. What I'm going to need you guys to do, we're going to close our eyes here in a minute, but one thing I'm going to want you to do as, as we're praying and think about this is we need people who are willing to host and willing to lead. And right now, all we're asking is for you just to put it down. Maybe you don't understand it all yet, but just put it down. And next Sunday after church, right after the service, we're going to meet with those of you who want to host and want to lead, and we're going to kind of go over what that all means. But just imagine, we're back in 2,000 years ago, and somebody comes in with a need, and Bob sells part of his farm to help this need. What do you think that does to the community? Does it drive it apart, or does it pull it closer together? It pulls it closer together in the name of Christ. Let's close our eyes. As you guys know, as I said last time, I'm a huge believer in response. I think it's worthless to say in our minds, yeah, I'm going to do something about it because we never do. I mean, some of you might be stronger than me, but I know I don't. But I do believe that if we make it public, if we stand, we're telling God and everybody, you know what, I mean this. And so I'm going to read a few of these statements. If you don't feel comfortable to stand, don't. We're not forcing you to stand. But if one of these statements rings true, please stand up. And when everybody's standing, I'm going to close this in prayer. Statement number one, I am tired of making church all about me. And I'm ready to make it about Jesus. If that's you this morning, stand up. I mean, if you're tired of making church about you, stand up. Number two, I'm tired of focusing too much on church corporate and on building and not enough on people. If you're just ready to focus on the people of God, please stand up. The third one, and I think this will get most of you. I am tired of creating an image and I'm ready to create an impact. If you're ready to impact the kingdom, stand up this morning. And then the last one, I'm ready to do church old school style, the way they did it 2,000 years ago. Let's pray, guys. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us today, Father. I thank you for the words. Father, I thank you for those believers who came before us, Father God, who showed us how it's done and how it should be done, Father God. It's no coincidence that when Peter would preach, three or 4,000 would come to Jesus, Father God, because they understood what it meant to serve each other. They understood what it meant to love each other, Father God. And I'm not saying that it's, that it's bad if one person comes to Jesus. It's great, Father. But I think we get too caught up on that, Lord, and not caught up on enough, but there's maybe 15 who haven't.
And so, Father God, that's what we lift up. Lord, each and every one of us in this room, Father God, we make a commitment to you this morning. Church is no longer going to be about the building or the ministries, Father God, but church is going to be about the people. If I see my neighbor in need, Father, I'm going to do everything I can to help that need. If I see a brother and sister in pain, Father God, I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to love on them, Father God, and I'm going to support them. But Father, we need you to do that, Lord. We can't do that in our own strength. We can't do that in our own power, Father God. We need your power to be able to do that, Father. So I pray right now that you overwhelm each and every one of us, Father God, with your spirit. Lord God, we know you're here. Your word says where two or more are gathered, you are there. You are here, Father God, and you're moving. I believe you're moving mightily in the hearts and the spirits of the people here, Father. Lord God, we love you. I pray right now, Father, that you give each and every person in here this renewed intensity for small groups, Father God, that they begin to realize when I go to church on just Sunday and leave and don't do anything else the rest of the week, I'm missing out. I don't get to experience the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the healing, the blessings of of helping others. And I'm ready to do that. So Father God, we lift up what's going to happen next week. None of us know how important it is. None of us realize how important small groups are. And Father God, I just ask that you motivate each and every one of us to be able to do that, Father God. Lord, we love you. Father God, we're so excited about all the things that you're doing here, Father. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We have three car, three baskets here, you guys. We have a joy basket. That's where all of our tithes and offerings go to the church. One thing real quick. Some of you who are on Facebook probably know this, but I wanted to announce it anyway. This past week, the debt on the church was paid off. And not only was the debt paid off, but there was also enough given to be able to buy a new portable building for our fourth to sixth graders as well. So the Lord is really, really good. We have a registration card basket. Aww, we make funny noises here in New Life, just so you know. That registration card, that's where you put those registration cards. If you have any prayer requests, please put those on there. One thing I'm asking you to do is, of these, first, of these three points that I covered, it's about church, not pe- about us, not God, about church, not people. It's about impact, not image. If there's one of those that really spoke to you, just put one, two, or three on there. The other thing that I would like, because I'm going to actually look at these, is if you're willing to host or lead, please, please put that on there as well. We want to have an idea going in and how, of how many hosts and how many leaders we're going to have. Finally, we have a bagel basket, which bagel means building a good life, which that money was going to pay off the building, but that clearly has been taken care of by the Lord. So they will continue to use that because we believe God is growing new life and, and we don't ever want to be in debt again. And so that bagel basket is going to go for that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You are dismissed.